the way that I've seen manhood and I'm and I'm still growing out of it, but I love it so much is service. You know what I'm saying? Like being a provider, being somebody who's some who you can lean on, somebody you can count on, somebody who's there for you, you know what I'm saying? Somebody who's loyal, somebody who's doing things for the next generation. Like and I've seen it throughout my life with my father with his father, they both weren't perfect, but they both made sure that the family was taken care of. You know what I'm saying? They stayed with the family and they raised their children and they did the best that they could. What's up? This is your brother, Jeff Johnson, and welcome to another episode of Men Thrive, the podcast. I am thrilled to be your host and even more on tiptoed anticipation as we get to have another episode of talking to an amazing brother deciding to thrive over survive. But before we do that, this week has seen a whole lot, as most weeks do. We saw my dear brother, Dr. Cornell West, write a scathing letter of resignation to Harvard University. And I don't think that many of us can be surprised. We have seen time and time again that many institutions that, though they may be, prestigious, are not always well equipped to handle the nuances of black intelligentsia, especially those that are non-traditional. And so without going into a whole lot of detail, I recommend you read the letter and hear it in his own words. I am excited to see not only those going to institutions on their own terms as opposed to on, I think, antiquated terms, but those that are deciding to go to HBCUs, as we've seen ta Coates decide to do at Howard University. So there are options for us to take our genius, even our nuanced and unusual and sometimes non-traditional genius, which I think is fantastic, to the places that best suit us, whether it's an HBCU, whether it's an institution that is a PWI, or whether it is just a place that makes sense for our brilliance to be able to thrive. And speaking of brilliance, my man Lee Merritt, attorney extraordinaire, many of you know him for the countless number of civil rights cases that he's been involved in, announced this week that he is running for the Attorney General of the state of Texas. I don't know how many of you know, but it is unusual for us as African Americans to win in statewide races. In fact, we are in single digits in almost every statewide position since Reconstruction. That's right, we have only had two elected black governors and three black governors. And and then those numbers, uh, again, they are in the single digits, whether you're talking about attorney general, secretary of state, state treasurer, because it's very difficult for us to win statewide, especially when the vast majority of African-Americans who run statewide are Democrats in states that overall are run by Republicans. So big up to Lee Merritt as he takes this dive into extremely treacherous waters in an extremely difficult state to run in anyway. Please pay attention to his campaign, find out about him, and even if you're not in the state of Texas, support him because I think he can be an amazing attorney general in a state that needs one. And so without further ado, I want to get right into our show. I think sometimes I feel like I have the best job in the world because I get to introduce some of you to some incredible brothers, some who you've known, some who you don't know, and have conversations with them that are often unlike conversations that they've had anywhere else. And so, and this week is no different. This brother is a playwright. He's a poet. He's an actor. He's a director. He's a producer of original work. And my man is from Queens, um, spent a ton of time in the DMV, went to school in Maryland, and I think is just a brilliant, brilliant storyteller who is committed to 
elevating the complexity of who we are as people. He's got a critically acclaimed piece, and I laugh because sometimes the critically acclaimed pieces are the ones that put us in a box because that's how many people are introduced to us and know us. But this brother, through Thoughts of a Colored Man, it premiered in the Syracuse stage in 2019-2020 season, transferred to Baltimore Center stage, and man, listen, this brother is going to Broadway. So without further ado, I am excited to introduce to some and present to others my brother, Kenan Scott II. Yo, what's up, man? Thrive. As always, I, I think you, y'all might get tired of me saying how excited I am about the brothers that we have coming on. But the reality is I'm excited because my job literally is I get to talk to black men about who they are, about the fact that they have decided to thrive in areas of their life versus survive. And the fact that I get to do that with brothers who I admire, with brothers who I um, love their work, no matter what it is. And, and more importantly, who I see them as men, that is what I'm excited about. And this week is no exception. I'll be totally honest. I was not an early fan of this brother. You know, I'm an old head. So as a as an OG, sometimes we, we get stuff in the second wave. And, and I was not in the first wave of, of fans of this brother. But as soon as I was introduced, I became a fan on one level. And then I was able to meet him virtually over the, the period of the pandemic. And I became a brother who admired and respected him on another level after that conversation. And so he is a artist. He is a producer. He is a thinker. He is a servant. He is a creative in the truest sense. Whether we see it or not, he is a, a servant for his community. And, and I think in a lot of ways, what I see him as is a willing heir of a holistic legacy of not only a geographic location, the spirit of that place, but of our people. And, and I'm going to say that again for some of y'all who, who, who might have missed that. He, he is a willing heir of a legacy of a geography of people as well as culturally our people. And that is what I am most excited about in having uh, my brother Olu Ofan. Some of you know him by his stage name and by the name that he is a member of the group Earth Gang and Johnny Venus. But either way, he is a brother who is really moving in his own way, in his own truth. And, and I hope has some things to share with us in that regard. What's up, brother? What's going on, my brother? I appreciate that, man, for sure, man. Blessings, bless, much blessings and love to you and everything you've been doing and, and the way you, you know what I'm saying, the path you've been blazing for many years and, uh, you know, the light that you've been shining and letting other people follow in your footsteps, man, for sure. I'm curious about when you fell in love with music in a way that you knew no matter what, I'm not talking about occupationally or vocationally, but the moment you fell in love with music in a way that you knew it would never be separated from you. It's so funny that you asked that, man, because we, we're working on this this next record right now, this series of where we're like introducing and, and reimagining and paying homage to, we call them the ghetto gods, but the people who've inspired us, you know, and we just dropped this record called Aretha, you know what I'm saying, sampling Aretha Franklin. And we mm -hmm. put that out last week and it's got a great response. And 
we're working on a couple of other ones. And this one sister who who dined on me, her music, her style, the things she teaches and everything. And, and it's really just kind of blended in with what I was already being taught, but brought it to a more present space is Erica Badu. Hmm. And, and the story is I was probably about five or six years old. I was with my uncle and we was riding on the west side of Atlanta. And I remember this like yesterday, it was pouring down raining and on and on came on the radio. And it's my first time hearing, you know, like music like that. You know, you grew up in the church, you hear church music, you know what I'm saying? You listening to, to, to Tupac and you listening, you know what I'm saying, to T.I. and all of that stuff. And I'm like, yo, what is this? You know, just the, the, the kick and the rim shot just off top is like, yo, what's going on? And like, you got this jazzy, vibey feel and like immediately like, I don't know if it was the water and the rain, the frequencies and the music, <laughs> but everything was just gelling at the same time. And I was like, man, this is magical. Like this right here is magic. And right before mm. my eyes, you know, as a young child too, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, never mind the things that she was talking about that I would learn about, you know what I'm saying, later on in life. But it was just like the vibration of the music. This right here is God, you know? So mm. I was like, okay, this, this is where I need to be. I'm right at home, you know? And what's even crazier is... I remember the first time I heard that song. Now I was I was probably older than you, but I remember the first time I heard that song and I remember how many people I was around at that time didn't get it. It wasn't Erica of now. Yeah. But but it was like I and I grew up in Ohio and so I was I was in Toledo which is, you know, 30 minutes from Detroit. Yeah. And anybody who knows anything about Detroit is Detroit is northern Miami. So it's all straight bass music. It's all club music. And it just wasn't this big feel for Erica in Toledo at the time. But it changed music for me. Do you know what it was for me? It was the most powerful, simplistic shit I had ever heard before. I had ever heard. I had ever heard. (laughs) Because... of of modern music, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there were there were these sonic alignments with music of the past, but but of modern music, it was like this simplistic power where she wasn't trying to distract me or impress. No, <laughs> or impress. I think that's a lot of things musicians these days like we find ourselves in these areas where we're trying to impress the listener and show off our skill. But she wasn't trying to do any of that. Nah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm just giving you game right now. <laughs> And and it re- and it reminds me of old school music in that regard because I because I have I have a, a, a eighteen and nineteen year old son, and sometimes they they think they're junior experts in production, and so I'm like, well, let me let you hear something, and I'm like, well, listen to this Luther, and listen to this Donny Hathaway, or listen to this Al Jarreau, and I'm like, you realize their voice was the star. Yeah. This, this music was a complement to this instrument, which was their voice. Yeah. And there was this composition of sorts where there was never an attempt for the production to be anything except a backdrop for this instrument. And, you know, sometimes they like, oh, that's cool. And sometimes they're like, oh, man, that's just boring as hell. But whatever it is, that's what I felt when when I felt Erica. And so I also think, Olu, that says something about how I've heard you describe your music. And so there's this reality for you. You talk about the, the fusion of the conscious and the subconscious. And I'm curious about what does that mean to you? So when you talk about this fusion of the conscious and subconscious, what does that mean? For me, music has always been a healing element. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like 
in, in all aspects, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if I'm at church, it's reshifting the frequency in there. If I'm at the basketball game, you know what I'm saying? And if it's Riley, you up to get you know, uh-huh. up. If I'm in the club, it's reshifting the frequency in there, you know what I'm saying? Like it's creating camaraderie with your people. If you're in the strip club, you know what I'm saying? Like it's the frequency. So I feel like everywhere I go, once I hear music, like it, it realigns the body. So that's mm. that's how I approach music, you know, like in any way, any shape or form, like it realigns the body and and that's the subconscious, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the subconscious alignment. You're not, you nobody really thinking about that. I might be, you still might be a couple other people thinking about that. Like, okay, this how I'm feeling not a music vibe and this chord gotta change. But like the average person is just in the water, you know what I'm saying? Like we just in the ocean. We're not thinking about when the next wave coming, where it's coming from. We just swimming. And like that's the subconscious. But then the conscious aspect about it is the is the words, you know what I'm saying? It's the things mm-hmm. that you're saying, it's how you're saying it. It's the stories that you're telling, you know what I'm saying? From Ice Cube, today was a good day to, you know what I'm saying, Gucci, first day out, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's the stories that we're telling and the experiences that we're sharing that, that are relatable so people can, you know what I'm saying, like, can go through these experiences or can feel like I'm not the only one going through this, you know? So you, you talked about, Erica, as that, that first falling in love. I'm also curious... You've mentioned almost, I think, three times already the church. And so clearly there's a church influence on you as a as a person. But clearly there is also this piece that says I'm a creative and there are different ways that people figure out they're creatives. There's a project that somebody does and then they fall in love in the process of that project or they get a job somewhere and they don't even realize the creative aspect of it and then they fall into it. At what point did you acknowledge yourself as somebody that was put here to create in a way that couldn't be suppressed? Like, I can't put this away and then go do work. Like, uh, this is where I am. I think, where where um, were you when you understood that? My first year in college. because Hampton cause, University? Yeah, Hampton University. Like, the, the three or four years before that, Maybe not even three to four years. I would say maybe the, the ten, the ten to twelve years before going to college, I would dance around music. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. me and my friends would be writing, writing raps, or I would like just be listening to the Sonics and playing records over and over, just listening to how these things were put together. I would put a song on repeat all day and just like listen to the song. And then you know what I'm saying? In high school, everybody started making music. Everybody started rapping. Mm-hmm. Snap. Uh, snap scene was around, you know what I'm saying? Like people uploading stuff to YouTube. So we just started making music. Then I went to college as an architecture major, went to Hampton University, major in architecture. And after the first semester, I was like, nah, this is not going to float. I'm just, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to work for me. I'm not going to be able to do this and be happy and live a, a fulfilled life. Me personally, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to be sitting up to three, four, five in the morning, drawing schematics, doing mm-hmm. all those things. And I was like, you know, I, I got to take the jump. I got to bet on myself. And this is something that I love. This is something that inspires me daily. This is something that helps me as a person get through things that I'm going through in life. So hmm. this is my path, you know, and I feel like this it's always been my path. When I heard the story about how you and Doc became friends and so much of you all's relationship was rooted in music. Uh-huh. I mean, so I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I heard a story about how y'all used to just meet up and exchange music. Do you remember the first song y'all exchanged? Yeah, uh, according to Doc, I don't, I don't remember the first <laughs> song, but according to my man, it was Curtis Mayfield, Diamond in the Back. Huh. According to him, because like, 
like I said, it's in my blood. Like even before I met Doc, like my mother and father sang in the church choir. My mm -hmm. mom is is organist. She plays the organ. And I mean, it was just something that was always in the household. Like my daddy was always singing at home. You know what I'm saying? He'd come off of work, you him close the car door, singing, coming up the steps. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you I'm just singing all the time. Like the only time we would be able to get really like kick it was like on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? Because mm. like he worked all the time. I was in school all the time. But the only time we were to kick it was on Saturday. And we used to drive all the way from the West End all the way to Buckhead up 400. Oh, wow. All the way up there. We used to take Peachtree. Because, you know, it comes from the West End. We used to take Peachtree just all the way through the city. And we would just play albums. You know what I'm saying? Some days it would be a Goody Mark album. Other days it would be Isley Brothers Live. You know what I'm saying? Other mm -hmm. days it would be Jimi Hendrix or... It would be Erica Badu, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that. And, and we would just listen to music all the time. So, like, he was, like, kind of grooming me early. It's like, you know, I, I want you to have a, a total experience of what music is. I, I'm not here to box you in, you know what I'm saying? Like, like what you doing with your sons? It's like, I'm not here to say, you know what I'm saying, this not the type of music you're supposed to be listening to. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, yeah. if I wanted an album that he was unsure about or he never heard of, he'd be like, let's listen to it together. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's not going to say, I don't want you to have this. You know what I'm saying? And if it's something in there that is wild, then he'll comment on it. You know what I'm saying? He'll be like, what you think about this? Like, how yep. that make you feel? What you think they talking about here? So it was like, it was always a, a, a learning process, you know, so that, that that made me like love music even more, you know? You talk about your dad, man. I, I remember when we were, I don't even remember who we did the panel for now that I'm thinking about it. I think it might have been for Revolt. Yes, um, that's what yeah, Yeah, it was, was for Revolt. And I heard you talk about kind of this legacy you come from. And so, one, I loved how you described your inspiration from The Wiz. And just when you think about Q's composition, mm -hmm. like The Wiz is stupid. In a lot of ways, in, in one generation, it was lauded for its brilliance. But post that generation, it's been almost totally forgotten. Uh -huh. And so I'm just curious about how that kind of imagery of the Wiz connected to you for Atlanta, because I see Atlanta really interestingly. But I, I, I want to hear your but, thoughts. But that's the, see, that's the thing. And growing up, we never really realized how how black Atlanta was and how there was really no other city like this in America. You got D.C., you know, what I'm saying, which, mm -hmm. which, is, which is changing. You also mm -hmm. got Detroit, you know, what I'm saying, which is changing. You know what I'm saying? Not to mention all the other small towns that are predominantly black, you know what I'm saying, in the South. But like Atlanta is this city with millions of black people in all of these spaces and like with so diverse, right? So it's like the weird to us was like, yo, the only other time I've ever seen this many black people doing these many things is at home in Atlanta. Like that's it. I don't I can't never turn on the TV and see this many black people doing all of these things, dancing, singing playing instruments and being a lion and, a, and all this stuff like ain't no other place in the world where i can turn on the tv and see black people like this i can go outside my door and see it but mm -hmm. ain't no other way but in the whiz so like to us it was just like man like we immediately connected to it you know what i'm saying we immediately connected to the characters we immediately connected to their stories we immediately connected to their sorrows and their troubles and like 
the, the even even the scarecrows bullying. You know what I'm saying? Like I was bullied <laughs> as a kid. You know what I'm saying? I was bullied as a child. So I like Mike. I feel you, man. They don't know what they talking about. They don't know what they talking about, Mike. Like they don't know who you are. They don't know what you made of, bro. So like I felt it, you know. And I'm like, man, this I love this movie. And we never seen The Wizard of Oz. We never seen that. Right. We didn't even know that's where it came from. You know what I'm saying? Until <laughs> after seeing The Wiz, I'm like, oh, this movie. Oh, we did that, you know what I'm saying? So it's like mm. we immediately connected with it as as being from Atlanta. It's just like, man, look at all these black people going ham. And I've always thought about Atlanta as three Atlantas. Uh-huh. I feel like there's this core of Atlanta, which is there are both black and white people that have had money and influence for a long time. And, and there's this core there. But then there's this mantle, if you will, that is made up of a generation of Maynard Jackson and Andy Young and really black folks coming not only into their having an identity of power, but pushing the levers of politics and social justice to actually create power. Mm-hmm. And then there's this crust. That's like the modern Atlanta, which is very much driven by corporate and entertainment. And that if you're not careful, you think that's what Atlanta is versus looking underneath at this mantle, which is this multi-generational contribution of neighborhood building and nation building and power and economics. I feel like from hearing some of your story and listening to you, you may function really well on that crust but you were really built by that mantle. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The My grandmother, Roselle Fan, was one of the first people who started the neighborhood planning units in Atlanta. And the neighborhood planning units was like a radical initiative where mm. we're gonna break down the neighborhoods into these small planning units where we're able to have more access, more control over the decisions that are being made inside our neighborhoods, you know what I'm saying? So, and a lot of times I used to be over my grandmama house and people would, you know, they say, Okay, you running for representative or you running for city council <laughs> or you gonna run for mayor, you gotta call Roselle Fan. You need to call her. You gotta get her stamp of approval. You know what I'm saying? So she'd be up answering the phone, you know what I'm saying, quizzing people, seeing who they are, what they about. Nah, she gonna sit and she hang up, she call somebody back. Nah, I don't know about this one. I he he don't have my approval. So it's like I I I was raised in that, you know what I'm saying? I also was a member of the, I'm a member of the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Mm. And 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 in the West End and just to see how, you know what I'm saying, they will work with the West Hunter Baptist Church or they will work with the Nation of Islam and we work with so many people and just creating just this atmosphere of like working together, doing things together and being, being the masters of our own destiny. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just how we grew up. In Atlanta, you it's black people doing everything. It's mm-hmm. not one thing that you don't see a black person doing. You know what I'm saying? Like you see black people working at the airport, but you also see black people flying the planes. You know what I'm saying? You also see black people building the airport and doing new construction on the airport as well. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And like, and like, that's a testament to, you know what I'm saying? Maynard Jackson, Andrew Young, all these people who, who set these things up to where we can live and be free who, who we supposed to be. And it's not just, you know, y'all, y'all have to take on these service roles and the only jobs you can get is, is working at McDonald's or working at as a chauffeur or working as a doorman, you know what I'm saying? And like mm-hmm. it's, it, took, it took tremendous sacrifice and, and we're so thankful and so grateful to be in the places that we are now because of the sacrifices that they made. And how has that impacted your definition of manhood? The way that I've seen manhood and I'm, and I'm still growing out of it, but I love it so much is service. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
being a provider, being somebody who's some, who you can lean on, somebody you can count on, somebody who's there for you, you know what I'm saying? Somebody who's loyal, somebody who's doing things for the next generation. Like, and I've seen it throughout my life with my father, with his father, they both weren't perfect, but they both made sure that the family was taken care of, you know what I'm saying? They stayed with the family and they raised their children and they did the best that they could. I'm seeing it with, with the mayors and the representatives who've been in Atlanta, like like Maynard Jackson, Andrew, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like people who just been in the community and like, you know what I'm saying? Like really just showing their muscle in the community, you know? Mm-hmm. And we see it now, you know what I'm saying? We see it with with, with all the people that we got going on, especially with the entertainers, QC, you know what I'm saying? Two chains and they, they, they opening up stores and businesses in the community, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And it's like, this to me, this is our definition of manhood, like being able to positively affect our community provide jobs, provide opportunities for learning and progress in our neighborhoods and not even just our neighborhoods, but across the world, you know, like we are earth game. And so we're taking what we got, what we learned in Atlanta, we taking this juice from Atlanta and we, we spreading it across the world. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we taking this water, we're going across the world and giving it to people, giving it to black men and women all and all people, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Across the world. So like, so to me, that's what manhood really is. You said when you started that you're growing out of something. I'm what growing you- out of putting people before me. That's mm. what I'm growing out of. I, for the past, I would say, year and a half to two years, I've been learning how to put myself first. You know, I've been learning how to do things for myself and yeah. to take care of myself first, you know. And in doing so, like, you make everything else around you shine. Everything else is, is positively affected when you at your best. You know, well, because because at some point somebody told us that was selfish, yeah, and and that there, there's like some narcissism in putting yeah. yourself first. I, I remember I used to train some some youngins, and and I would ask them, how many of y'all would give somebody your last? Because I hear people say that all the time, like I give you my last, I give you my last, and I'm like, I don't trust nobody that says they'll give away their last, because at some point my last needs to be what I eat mm-hmm. to be able to have the strength to create more to be able to share. Mm-hmm. If if I give you my last, that means my life is over. And martyrdom is something that, that we shouldn't seek. Martyrdom is something ultimately that comes as a result of sacrifice, not something you look for. I appreciate you saying that because I don't think as men, we've been taught, be your best self so that you have the most to give. Yeah, we get so- taught Grind, grind till you ain't got nothing until left. You ain't, until you ain't no more. <laughs> Work until you die. That's, that's what we've been taught. And then niggas will throw you a funeral where they pour some liquor out for you, and then yep. go on and keep doing whatever it is they was doing before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, and that's what I learned from my father before he passed. You know, like he he really grind himself to the bone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like. And I think through those last few, three years of, 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 of him living, you know what I'm saying? He started to really realize, okay, I got to put myself first. And even with me, me and him talking about, you know what I'm saying? Switching up the diet, eating better, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Exercising, doing the little things, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I was learning also, you know what I'm saying? Through him, it's like, you know, it's just a way that we got to carry ourselves in order to make sure that we good, you know? And, and, and you did an awesome job. You did an excellent job raising myself, raising my mm-hmm. cousins, you know what I'm saying? Raising my knucklehead friends, like you did an amazing job and we thank you for it. But like, we want to make sure that you take care of yourself right now. You know what I'm saying? And then we extend this legacy on to the next. 
Yeah. And and our fathers and grandfathers, nobody taught them that. I think about my grandfather. My grandfather barely even knew how to say what was on his mind, let alone had a flexibility to be like me taking care of me is actually me taking care of the family. He had he, he had no clue what that meant. I think my father understood it a little bit better, uh-huh. but it was still rooted in what's my job? How much do I earn? Uh-huh. How much can I leave behind for the family coming next? But it was never not until my, my dad got cancer. So it wasn't until he got cancer that I think he really realized, wait a minute, I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of myself. Same. My, yeah. father, my father had triple bypass, heart surgery, had just congestive heart failure for about eight years after that until he passed. So it was mm-hmm. like, all right, Hey, I really got to take care of myself now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to come first. You know? When you think about that in this moment, and, and I think about how I watch you and some others really being intentional about how you're building relationship with other men in formal ways and informal ways. And how important is it to you, the strength of the brotherhood that y'all have? And, and I don't I don't mean that from a from an earth gain market driven perspective, but but y'all are creating a real tribe. And I don't know if everybody always understands what the process is for creating tribe and what the benefit is, especially when it's just men. I'm glad you're saying it because it's, it's not a lot of spaces where where men can just come together and be men and work on the same goals. You know, what I'm saying especially black men, you know, what I'm saying to me. The first images that you see in mind that the media portrays these spaces are what sports and gangs. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that's that's what the media and then and every now and then they throw the rap entourage in there <laughs> when they want to play around. But like if it ain't a rap entourage or sports or or gang affiliated, you don't see black men coming together nah. working at the on the same thing at the same time. You know, so it's like we definitely want to change that narrative. Like it can't be what they portray. It can't be all that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we got to learn that. You know what I'm saying? Men coming together and having these spaces is is natural. It's the it's the natural way of things. This is not something radical that we're doing. This is something that we've been doing, but that was stripped away from us by, you know what I'm saying, what happened when we got over here. So I feel like it's so important because women can't teach men how to be men. You know, mm-hmm. they, they they can assist you, you know what I'm saying? And and, and every now and then they can they can guys you hit it okay make this left turn i see i see what you're doing now go you going in the right direction but keep going this way but like you can't teach a man only a man can teach a man how to be a man you know that's and right so that's why i think it's so important for men to have these spaces and working together with men and growing in the same time you know it's a lot of head but especially when you're an alpha male you know what i'm saying i i believe honestly that alpha males don't surround themselves with nothing less but alpha males like i can't surround myself with yes men you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like it don't feel good it, it, when people just telling you yes, yes, yes the whole time. Like I want to learn and I and I want to grow. And the only way I could do that is if I'm wrong that somebody corrects me. My brother corrects me. I correct my brother. But the main goal is that we headed in the same direction. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I'm gonna put you on game. You're gonna put me on game, and we're gonna get to where we're going. You know what I'm saying? No matter the hierarchy. No matter if I employ you. You know what I'm saying? Or, or no, nothing like that. Like it, it don't matter. Like. If you got something to tell me, if I'm making a, a, a misstep, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you put me on game, good. Now we all going more, further into the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's funny, man. I'm having an interesting challenge with this whole notion of alpha as the apex man versus the alpha as one of the pieces on the chessboard. Yeah. Right. Because I know some non-alpha brothers that are crazy strong. And I know some alpha men who because they head and they heart ain't right, 
dang good for the machine. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'd rather have a brother who's a beta brother uh-huh. that says, listen, this is what my role is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the dude out front. I'm not going to be the one that's that's coming through the door. But guess what? I'm going to set up the dude coming through the door to have everything he need before he roll through. To, or me, I'm to a- me, that's alpha, though. To me, that's also okay. alpha. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because to me, an alpha man is somebody who understands their role and does it to the highest of their ability. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not It's not always the loudest or it's not always the person in front. You know what I'm saying? We can look at But, Jake I, but I think that's how we define alpha a lot yeah, of times. Yeah. I think a lot of us define alpha as the dude up front, the dude yeah, that's most aggressive, like, nah, the that's, one that's, who's that's the loudest. Not true. No, so I'm you and I are on the same page then. Yeah, and yeah. it really is what you said is, is do I understand my role and am I willing to play it? And do I realize that me playing my role and the effectiveness of that is never really about how many people know? Mm-hmm. It's about what's the impact mm-hmm. of what I do. I appreciate you clarifying that because I, I think that there's a lot of us that just think alpha is the first one through the door, the one who's the loudest, yeah. the one who get all the shine. And yeah. and I agree with you. I, I agree with you totally. I'm curious, is that in a lot of ways what spillage is about? Because yeah. as as I've, I've as I've looked at it, like you're clear about what your your label is. I mean, and that's one thing. But spillage just seems like this this pure collective. And I know it's not all men, but the, but this pure collective of artists, where it's not really about where you signed or what you do over here or what you do over here. But there's this ecosystem that y'all have created that is so pure that there's always a space for y'all to come back to get fed and mm-hmm. to be empowered and to empower others. Is that wrong? Yeah, no, Spillage Village is a community. You know what I'm saying? First and foremost, it's a village. It's a village, it's a community. It's a space where artists come together and have been able to grow their talents and explore and share their skills and share their assets with each other. And, and that's what a community is. That's what a thriving community is. Not just in the music industry, but not, and not even just in the in, in the industry, in whatever industry, whether you're in the real estate mm-hmm. industry, like no matter the industry, like you got to have a community of people who who have things that they bring into the pool so we all can feed and we all can eat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like that's definitely what Spillage Village is. Like we've been assisted by so many of, of those people on the label. You know what I'm saying? J.I.D., Hollywood, J.B., Jordan Bryant, like mm-hmm. Black, like all of these people's moves, skills, and talents, and the levels that they go up to, it, it only assists us, you know what I'm saying? Rising tide floats all ships, you know, like, so that's something that, that that we think about and that we do all the time, like, it's like, if he's shining, then I know whoever he meet, I know I met him too, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's that's my, that's that's how I look at it, like, whoever bro just met, whatever dope bro just walked in, I just walked in there too, you know what I'm saying? And like, that's how we move and that's how we affect each other. Was that something that just organically happened? Yeah, it was or, just it was or... super organic, man. It was super organic. Started at Hampton University. Um, yeah. We met Justin Bryan. We met JID. We started working with Collective Air and uh, um, the brother Jack Swain, who opened the doors for us. We could record in this in the, in the uh, school's studio after night, late late at night. You know what I'm saying? We just took it from there, and we came back to Atlanta and began to reach out to other artists and like. Really mm-hmm. find our tribe, like you said, find people who we vibe with, find people who we work with and able to make something great. I love it. So often we follow people and we tell their story peak to peak. 
And we'll never tell none of the valley stories or the process yeah. stories. And so with you, I'm curious. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you do a pretty good job staying low key. But I think it's readily known that that you got kicked out of Hampton less than two weeks before graduation. Yeah. Because my guess is that probably was one of the biggest valleys that you had to face early. I didn't get kicked out. This is breaking news. Me okay. personally. My <laughs> brothers did. I did not. You know what I'm ah. saying? You see what I'm saying? I okay. did not. My brothers did. That was a turning point in a, in a lot of our lives. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily for me. For me, it was a slingshot, you know what I'm saying, going into a new direction because we used to go travel overseas right after graduation. Mm. And my brothers weren't allowed to go. And I went I went straight to France. My first time being out the country, my first time being in Europe. I'm by myself. I'm checking wow. things out. I'm figuring things out. And uh, I'm trying to see, you know what I'm saying, black man with locks and came France, the Cannes Film Festival, and all of these things was going on. But, like, coming back home and really not being able to take care of myself and not being able to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, not seeing myself as a man and moving as a man yeah. while pursuing my passion was, like, a low moment in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would say for, like, probably, like, three to four years, maybe, maybe yeah. four to five years after the graduation, it was just a lot of struggle. You know what I'm saying? Just making, just working whatever jobs that we work, hating it, minimum wage here and there, mm-hmm. like, recording and grinding and recording. My father, you know, he got congestive heart failure, so his disability checks about to run out in a little while. My mama's taking on multiple jobs. We cleaning at night, you know what I'm saying? She started cleaning while I was in college just to offset some bills because my father wasn't working. She didn't even tell me until wow. two years later when I got back home. I'm like, Ma, you kept this for me for two years, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, on one hand, you trying to have fun. You 21, 22, 23, you trying to explore the world. But on the other hand, I got to help take care of my family as well. So, like, I was talking to a sister who I was dating then, and she was just trying to figure it out. I was talking about, about a month ago, about two months ago. And she was like, what, like, what was the problem? What was the issue? You know what I'm saying? Like, why didn't the relationship work out? She was like, I felt like you really, mm-hmm. like, you really didn't love me. You really didn't care about me. So I was like, yo, honestly, I was depressed. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the only way I could say it. Like, I was depressed. I was unhappy. You feel me? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I came back home after graduating from college with honors and all these things, and it's hard to get a job. You know what I'm saying? It's a recession. I got this music love that I got, and it ain't paying the bills. Mm-hmm. My father looked like he's deteriorating. My mama is, you know what I'm saying, working two or three jobs. We cleaning. We we have been humble. Man. You know what I'm saying? I ain't, like, I ain't no stranger to, to, to working and cleaning. I believe in cleanliness and this, the God is clean your home, clean your house, all of that. But like we cleaning very old buildings for very little pay. I think it was, I think it was maybe like sixty dollars an hour. You know what I'm saying? And like we we have to clean this entire building and, and stuff. And it's like, man, what the hell going on, God? Like, <laughs> like, 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 like what, what the hell going on? You know what I'm saying? So it's like I really didn't have the self care. You know what I'm saying? Qualities and the things that I have now back then. And like we say, when you're not taking care of yourself, not even when you're not perfect, but when you're not self-aware and taking mm. care of yourself and the things that you need to change, like that sickness and that depression and that sadness affects all relationships. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, yo, I was I was just depressed. I was not in a good space. And 
I'm sure she was that wasn't the only relationship that didn't work out because yeah. of my mental state and my spiritual state because I wasn't aligned with who I am and who I want. How did you navigate that? Because because I think a lot of times I, I, I know I've heard brothers say either I thought I was depressed or I know I was depressed and then I came out of it. But that shit is a process, man. Yeah, and, yeah. and 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 what was that process like for you? The first thing was having control of my body. Huh. You know what I'm saying? So the two things I did that, that helped have me have control over my body. The first thing was I became celibate. And the second thing was I stopped smoking weed. And those two things created a sense of self-control for me that I hadn't had since I was a child. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like once you get, you go to high school, you go to college, you like, man, I'm with whatever. Let's do whatever. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I want to explore. And then you realize that you like you spiraling out of control, low key. You know. And for me, it was those two things that created that sense of self control, where 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 the body was able to start to take care of itself like it naturally does. Mm -hmm. what it's what it's supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Like you start feeding the body good things, it's gonna start taking care of itself. And then after that, having a better relationship with my ancestors. You know what I'm mm. saying? My grandma passed 2016, I believe. That, and that was like the first real close passing of somebody who I love. That's my father's mother. You know what I'm saying? My, my grandfather passed a while back. But me and him, we ain't, we ain't really chop it up like that, like that. He loved yeah. me. I loved him too. But we ain't really chop it up. My grandma, that was my dog. And like once she passed over, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we talk about death. And, and what it does to you and how it breaks you but we never talk about like the doors that it opens up because the people on the other side are able to just move things out the way for you you know yes. what i'm saying they're able to assist you in a way that they could not do it physically in this space whether it's visiting you in a dream you know oh, what i'm, I'm saying with you. And, and showing you like nah you can't be hanging around with these people you know what i'm saying scolding you in the dream or <laughs> blessing you you know what i'm saying like when when you're doing something that you know that they're proud of and the sun just shining mm -hmm. light on your face and your spirit is high. So it's like, I know I've been in places where I had to be like, thanks, dad. Because like, I know he was there before me. I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. I have clarity that my dad, my grandfather, my grandmother were in this space before I got there. Exactly. Moving some stuff and knocking some people in the head to ensure that the environment was perfect when I got there. And when I lost my dad, I felt immediately an elevation in our relationship. And as much as I miss him now, there are times I want to hear his voice. There are times I want to feel his beard against my face when he yeah. hugged me. But I'm never lost on his presence. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just, I, I think that you're right. There is often this kind of morbid Christian culture that is about death being this final mm. resting place mm. versus really a setting free, which is mm. dangerous for a lot of people. Cause then they like, well, wait a minute, what you mean a setting free? So you started to say after your grandmother's passing. After my grandmother passed, you know what I'm saying? Her spirit started working and, and that was really a turning point for smoking for me. I was like, man, I gotta stop smoking. All right, let me, let me chill, <laughs> you know what I'm mean? saying? And then, then when my father passed, my father passed in 2018, I was like 28, 28 years old, you know what I'm saying? And you never understand what it's like till it happens, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It don't matter how old you are. You, my dad's dad passed, I think he was like 60 or 55, mm. sprung in, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, you really had your dad for a long time. Kudos, my brother. You know, for what I'm real. Because that's a that's a good thing. Even though y'all relationship wasn't perfect, like to have your dad around that's a lot for 55 of time. years is a long yeah. time. You know, and to see me like go through it at 28, and I'm like, you know, it scared me for a minute. I was like, damn, like I'm young. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm young, and where I'm gonna get this guidance from? I remember one time I had a talk with my father when I was thinking about stop making music. You know what I'm saying? And it's so funny because he always supported me. And, and it's funny because, like, I was really going through some things going on. And, you know, it was, like, a lot of things out of my control that were, like, just piling up against me, piling up against me. And it felt like God was trying to send me in a different direction. So, you know, mm. I got to stop and wait, think, see what's happening. He was like, man, I ain't I ain't never really take you for a quitter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, just just said it real calm like that simple just shit simple real calm ain't no voice raising ain't no scolding like he's probably no names he just like i ain't really thinking for a quitter man like that that ain't the son i raised i'm like yeah okay you're right you're right that was like one of our last real deal conversations from the past you know what i'm saying so like just being able to have the lessons that he taught me you know what i'm saying yeah. like be present in my life and to know that even in my young 28 years that he taught me enough, not even by through, not through words, but through his actions of, of the code, you know what I'm saying? How to move, how not to move. And then to see all the people who he affected, like surround me with their love, you know what I'm saying? And like help me out. It just put me back on the path of being like, okay, I'm doing what I was going to do. Now the love that they're giving me, let me give the love back out, you know? I want to ask you some really quick questions before I let you go. But you said something about celibacy and taking control of your body. And over the course of this interview, you said frequency a couple of times. Uh -huh. And so I'm curious because whether you're thinking spiritually or whether you're thinking metaphysically or whether even you're thinking biologically, our bodies are the lo lowest common denominator of our existence, mm -hmm. but so often it's what we feed the most. So mm -hmm. we got the body dragging the mind and the spirit around mm -hmm. instead of the spirit yeah. guiding Controlling the mind everything. and the body. Exactly, right. exactly. And so I'm just curious about during that period of celibacy, what were the higher level frequency feelings that said to you, damn, like this level of discipline and suppression of what the body is saying I need right now is opening up shit mm -hmm. that I never thought I could experience before. It was clarity as to who I am. Hmm. You know, like I think when we merge ourselves with people without self-awareness, you know what I'm saying? We lose so much of ourselves and we take on so much of other people. And I think the first and foremost, like even with marriage or whatever, you don't, you don't have to be married to have sex or any of those things. But I think, when you are self-aware and you begin to take on that step with somebody else, it changes the dynamics of the relationship. It may not always work out, but you know that I did the best that I could and, or I could have worked in these areas. You know what I'm saying? I need to grow in these areas. But like self-awareness, self-autonomy and being able to like just rely on yourself, like it changes everything. It changes mm -hmm. the world. It changes your atmosphere. It changes your outlook when you're able to control yourself. You know, I feel like a lot of times that's out of our hands because of what we've been taught, the music that we listening to, or, or you know what I'm saying, following our friends and all of these things, like that self-awareness and that, and that self-control. Once you're able to harness that, like 
you turn to a different person. Yeah. So listen, man, I want to ask you a couple real quick before I let you go. And this is one's got to go. So I'm going to give you three things. It might be whatever. And you got to tell me which one got to go. All right. right? So Sam Cooke, Otis Redden, (laughs) or Marvin Gaye. I'm going to have to get Otis out of here. Really? Yeah, I love Otis, but I'm going to have to get Otis out of here. <laughs> Sam, Sam Cook, the things that Sam Cook was doing, man, with, with, with working on getting his masters and things mm-hmm. like that, man, that was that was ahead of his time. That was ahead of the game, man. You know what I'm saying? And Marvin Gaye, you already know, you know what I'm saying, the legacy that he left behind is, even though Otis Redden influenced both these brothers, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to still gonna rock with Sam and Marvin. All right, so this one's a little bit closer to home. Which one's got to go? Outcast, T.I., or Luda? Dang, that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> wow. I know it's, it's almost not even fair, but wow. but but where, where are we going with it? <laughs> wow. Wow, you're going to make me do this? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to get Luda out of there, and I hate to do it, man. Ooh. I love Luda, bro. So tell me why, though. Because I'm from the west side, man. Uh, <laughs> that's why. That's it. That's why. <laughs> I'm from the west side. Outcast put on for the Swats. T.I. put on for Bankhead. And it's still so much love and pride for where I'm from, man. West End Zone 4, Zone 1. That's the only reason, man. Because I love what he did for Atlanta. The, just the, the, the energy that he brought to rap. The energy, you know what I'm saying? The, the comedy, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like the wordplay. Bro's cadence was unmatched. You know what I'm saying? Coming out with the, with the chopsticks, sideburn, crazy <laughs> fro and all of that. Like, hey, you ain't never seen nothing like that. Nah. Before, you know? Uh-uh. You never seen nothing like that. And, and, to, and to hear it, to hear the word playing and stuff, but like on West Side, through and true. That's fair though, right? Like nobody's going to yeah. be mad at you for that one. That's rooted in principle. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I know that you're a student of music. If on your next record, you could do features with any artist, present or past, living or gone, what three artists would you do features with? Like, if you had full control, you like, I got to have one, two, and three, who would be the three that you would do features with? I want to do one with Prince, just because mm-hmm. Prince, you know what I'm saying? Like, got to yeah. do one with Prince. I'm going to say Erica Badu. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just because you never know what that's gonna sound like. You I feel like know. that's coming. Like I feel like that's coming. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You just never know what it's gonna sound like. And then the third one, Jay Z. Ah, <laughs> I just love Jay Z. Yeah. What would Johnny Venus in 2021 say to a nine-year-old Olu that nobody had ever told him? Start making music. Start now. Wow. Start right now. Don't wait till you're 16. Start right now. And last question, man. What is something that you're working on now that you can talk about that has you most excited? Our album's called mm-hmm. Ghetto Gods. It's coming out in the summer. Just played it again yesterday 
on this long drive and I was with my people, I was like, man, I had to play it again, man. I want to make sure I ain't smoking huh. all dope, man. I want to make sure it's really tight, man. You know what I'm saying? And they told me, they was like, man, it's fire. It's slapping, bro. It's slapping. I'm like, you know, I kind of played like four or hmm. five times a week just to make sure. For real? Like, yeah, man. What, what, like, without going into details, what has you most excited about it? Music, the sound. I love how it sounds, man. Like, because I, I sound... It's so organic, and we've been compared to, you know what I'm saying, like the far side, uh, mm -hmm. Soul Quarians, Goody Mob, Outkast, Dungeon Family. And I think a lot of times people forget that this was a mainstream sound back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like these were niche people. You know what I'm saying? Nah. Like, the Dungeon Family sound, the organized noise sound was a mainstream sound. You yes, know what I'm saying? They, they created hit records. You know, and it gave Atlanta that energy of like the musicality, like the, the boom, the energy, the bass. Like you never knew what it was going to sound like, but you knew it was going to slap. You knew it was going to sound good and feel good. And mm -hmm. that's what this album sounds like. It, it, everybody's like, man, God, it's, it's Atlanta, man. Like it's really Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not trap. Trap mm -hmm. is Atlanta. And that, No, it's a piece of Atlanta. Trap is a piece of Atlanta. That's right. You know what I'm saying? But this is Atlanta, and I love that so much. You got me excited, brother. Listen, thank you. I so appreciate you coming through, man, just being able to chop it up with you. Excited about who you are in the world, man, and, and, and just know that as your big bro, man, whatever I can do to be supportive. I'm crazy excited just in what you said about hearing this next project. And I'm excited about who you are as a creative and as a performer. But brother, I'm more excited about how you showing up in the world as a man and how many brothers and men and women for that matter are going to be impacted because of how you show up as a man. And that's who I'm excited the most about because you see it. And the fact that you see that is not only going to impact the music, but every single thing that you do, man. So I, I, for one, am one of the soldiers on the front line, brother, to ensure in any way I can that you keep going. Thank you so much, my brother. I really appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? I really appreciate you, like I said, like paving the way for brothers like me and brothers behind me who's going to come. And we thank you and we giving you your flowers right now as well, my brother. We really appreciate everything you've been doing for the couple of few decades and and we really thankful and it's and it's, it's showing up you know what i'm saying in our generation so god bless you for that my brother. absolutely man let everybody know where they can follow you and and when the project is dropping the project we don't have a date yet but it's summertime fine i'm telling you it's coming <laughs> you can follow us at earth gang that's one word all channels at earth gang you can follow me personally on my earth gang me on my ig page johnny venus and everything else TikTok. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. And last but not least, we started this neighborhood garden with young middle school in mm -hmm. Southwest Atlanta. And we have a GoFundMe on my, my personal IG page and on Earth Games page. And we're looking to raise these funds to, to show these children self-determination, children that look like me and you, you know what I'm saying? Let these people know that we can affect our bodies and affect our minds at the same time. So we really would appreciate Anybody who can give anything, thank, so thankful, and God bless y'all. What's the name of that project? It's called Ghetto Gardeners. It's, uh, it's GoFundMe. Okay. No, we, yes. we're going to make sure we, we send that out through the, through yes. the network. And so you all listen. I'm challenging everybody, just go and drop what you would spend on something this week that you know you don't need. So 
something that you was going to spend some money on that you know you don't need. Is it a drink? Is it another pair of sneakers? Is it that shirt? Is it that strip club? Whatever it is that you know you don't need this week, I want you to put that on Ghetto Garden. All right? Thanks, Thank y'all. you so much, brother. It's going to come right back to you. We appreciate that, man. You're giving it to the children. It's going to come back. Well, we're going to stay in touch, my brother. We'll talk soon. For sure. All right. Peace. And there it is, man. Listen, I continue to be humbled by the brothers that find it not robbery to come and have conversations with us and in large part talk to us in ways that they don't necessarily get a chance to in other places. And so I really want you to support Keenan's work. If you are in New York or heading to New York, uh, you've got to support Thoughts of a Colored Man. If you can get tickets, I, I got tickets. I'm telling you right now for opening night. And uh, I'm excited that I'm going to be in the house with what I think is just a brilliant cast of brothers who are going to bring this incredible work. I don't want to even say to an elevated level, but to a new level. Uh, so support this brother. He is supporting us with every single thing that he does. I hope that you all have a fantastic week that is filled with joy, that you walk in a energy of purpose, to create whatever it is you believe you were put on earth to do. Man, because when each of us does that in a way that is driven by excellence and mastery, and we see each other as humans, man, there is not a whole lot that we can't do. I want to say thank you to the entire Men Thrive team, to Fran and her team, to Madison, our associate producer, to every single person that ensures that we're able to bring a show to you on a weekly basis that, for some reason, you keep listening to. Y'all be good to each other this week. Be good to yourself. Love those around you, but most importantly, love yourself. I'm out.